You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, and welcome to Her Money as we head into the final moments. I can't believe I just said that, but the final moments of 2016, and you are reflecting on another year that's come and gone. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this question. Did you spend too much time trying to be perfect, trying to be the perfect mom or spouse the perfect girlfriend, the perfect employee, the perfect boss. It's a question inspired by today's guest, Shauna Nyquist, who is the New York Times bestselling author of Present Over Perfect, as well as a number of other books. Her most recent collection of essays, Present Over Perfect, it focuses on the journey from living a busy, frantic, disconnected life to a simpler one, a simpler life filled with rest, and grace and connection. I'll bring her in in just a second. She is on the phone with us from Illinois. But let me just read you a short passage from her book. And this really spoke to me. The phrase present over perfect was one I first held tightly to a few Christmases ago. I remember the moment. The table was a train wreck of wrapping paper and unfolded laundry, half-eaten cookies. My mind was running with all the remaining tasks that needed to be done, gifts bought, cards addressed, bags packed, deadlines reached. To put it plainly, my desire for a beautiful sparkly Christmas moment was edging out my ability to live well in my own actual life. And I recognized this feeling as one I'd grappled with all my life. I want things to be spectacular, epic, over the top, exciting and dramatic. But in order to force that beauty and drama into otherwise ordinary moments, you have to push and tap dance and hustle, hustle, hustle. I was faced with a dilemma, one so many of us face quite often. I could either wrestle my life and my kids and my house and our Christmas into something fantastic, something perfect, or I could plunk myself down right in the middle of the mess and realize that the mess is actually my life, the only one I'll ever get, the one I'm in danger of missing completely waiting around for fantastic. Shauna Nyquist, welcome to Her Money. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I have to say that the emails that you get after writing this book must be something because it so spoke to me and I think so many women just like me. You know, it has been absolutely so moving. And it's essentially, it's just exactly what you're saying. It's women saying, me too, me too. I I want to leave behind this frantic living, me too. You say that this is the deepest, most honest thing that you've ever written. Another word for that might be vulnerable. I know Brene Brown wrote the foreword 
to your book. We are big fans of her here. She's been on the show episode 17, I think. And what is it about opening up in this way that was appealing to you at this point in your life? Well, I am a huge fan of Brene's and she has been a a very good friend and a total example to me in this. But I think my um, commitment to vulnerability started um, when the year I graduated from college, Anne Lamott wrote wrote the book Traveling Mercies. And um, I was an English major and I went to school in California and she lives in California. And so I had read all of her fiction. I had read her essays. We were totally fans of hers. We went to her readings and then she wrote Traveling Mercies about faith and life. And um, and I remember reading that book and it sort of stopped me in my tracks. And I said, if I could make another woman feel the way she is making me feel seen and known and not crazy, I would give anything in the world to, to do that. And so I think what I'm doing is always trying to keep up with the women who invited me into that same space through their writing. Why take on perfection? There's something so appealing and yet I think so dangerous about it. Well, I think maybe there's two reasons. One of them is in my own life, I realized that I was in my kind of later 30s and from the outside, it looked like I had everything I had so badly wanted. And from the inside, it felt like I was missing the most important things. And so it felt to me like I was at an important crossroads that it didn't matter if my life was so full of beauty and goodness and connection if I was too exhausted and isolated and and depleted to really enjoy those things. And then I think on a larger level, we live in a culture that's so image oriented. And I mean that both in the technical sense of like photos online, Mm -hmm. but also just it's very easy to tell a story about ourselves that's not really true. It's very easy to craft an image about our life or our family or our work that nobody really has to see the inside and the mess of our lives. And I think that's a little bit dangerous. I think it's easy to invest yourself too deeply in the image and to not give the best of what you have to your real behind the scenes kind of life. Well, I think those of us who have busy and successful from the outside sorts of lives, I want to say we almost owe it to other people to say, you know, it's not perfect. It's a mess. I got divorced. My kid told me she hates me today. You know, it's it feels like a responsibility to do that. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, there was a conversation between a couple of bloggers, both in the LA area that I absolutely love. And they were sort of calling on other women to say, please speak publicly and clearly about the amount of help you have in your life, right? If you have a nanny, please tell people that. If you have a housekeeper, please tell people that. If you have a cleaning lady, please tell people that. Because if you don't, the implication is that somehow there's this amazing, magical group of women who are doing all the things that you can't manage to do in a week. And it's so important when we say, oh, dear heavens, please do not assume I'm doing that either. Please do not assume I'm doing all these things by myself with absolutely no support. So I think the more we can kind of pull back the curtain and say, oh, there are tons of things I'm leaving undone, or there are tons of things I have help with. I think that really helps us all kind of breathe a sigh of relief. I I think a lot of people spend a lot of money in the quest of perfection, sometimes money that they don't have. And to me, it sort of falls into two categories. They're either spending it on money to make the picture look better, or sometimes they're spending money on getting that kind of help and that kind of support. And that latter 
expenditure to me is the one that that's worth it. How do you sort of figure out how to allocate your resources in this way? In our family, one of the things that we, we talk a lot, I, I would not say we are like financial experts. You know, my I'm a writer, my husband's a musician, we, uh, but we have a couple values that are really, really important to us. And I would say they would be, um, we value experiences over things mm-hmm. and we intentionally live below our means so that we can give to meaningful causes. And those are kind of our forever priorities. Then different things will, will come up. There are seasons where we're saving for this or for that. or the, But we always are, and it's really important that we communicate this to our kids, we always value experiences over things. And we always intentionally live below our means so that we can give to the things that are important to us. What kind of experiences? Well, we love to travel. Um, and especially just the four of us, we have two little boys and the four of us love to travel. We also travel with both our extended families. And, um, I grew up in a family that really valued travel Mm -hmm. and it made me feel at a young age that the world was beautiful and kind and that I didn't have to be afraid of new places and new things and new food. And I love that I grew up that way. And it's really important for us to introduce our kids to the world in the same way to say there, not everybody has to look like you or eat like you or live in a house like yours. You can still learn so much from them and feel connected to them. Um, so travel is a really important part of that for us. Oh, I, I love that. My parents did very much the same thing. And we saw a great part of both the country from the back of a station wagon, but also also the world when they were able to take us to different places. I want to talk tactically a little bit about getting to a place where you can let go of perfect. But before I do that, let me just remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives that we've worked so hard for. So if you've got a sec, please visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Shauna Nyquist. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, getting divorced, starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. I'd like to tell you about Offshore, a new podcast from Honolulu Civil Beat and PRX. The show tells stories about the side of Hawaii most tourists never see. Season one examines Hawaii's struggle to come to grips with race and power as the most multicultural state in the country. Here are the stories of two local killings 80 years apart whose simmering tensions have never gone away. It's what the rest of the country needs to know as the white majority takes a backseat to the many growing ethnic populations. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are happy to be talking with Shauna Nyquist about perfection or the ability to put perfection and the quest for it, I guess, on the side and, and just live a little bit. How do you get yourself to let go of that picture in your mind's eye and embrace what's going on right now? Well, I would say one of the things that's really helped me is intentionally surrounding myself with other women and other families that care about the same things, that value being present with each other more than kind of that perfection, performance, perfect stuff. So we're a part of a a little community of of families and of, of women and men that we 
spend a lot of time in each other's messy homes. And sometimes we go through seasons where we eat a lot of takeout. And sometimes we drop each other's kids off just right at the last minute because something came up. And we live in a very connected, informal, non-performance or competitive way. And I think that helps all of us. The more you can feel seen and known in your community and the more together you can create space for, it's okay to come in messy. It's okay to come in kind of out of sorts. We can make space for that in our gatherings. I would hate to be a part of a community that always required me to be performing or competing. That wouldn't feel like community at all to me. And so I think uh, the more you can create that in the families or the individuals that you walk with on a regular basis, you'll kind of, it'll be contagious for all of you. Do you, do you get that by putting it out there yourself, by embracing your own messy enough to know and let others know that it's okay to let their own hair down? Is that how you get to that place? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a friend of mine says, and I love this. I think this is such a neat thing. So she's kind of a, she's a designer and she's known for like having a beautiful home and for helping other people have beautiful homes. That's, that's what she does professionally. And so she picked up on the fact that sometimes people feel intimidated going to her house or specifically they don't want to invite her to their house. And so what she does, um, she keeps a very clean house just naturally, but before she has people over, She puts a laundry basket full of clothes somewhere in the room. (laughs) And she says, yeah, it's kind of a kind of like a little tactic. Sure. Like it's kind of fake. It probably, you know, but it instantly lets people know that my house is just like your house and that I see you as a part of this family space, not as someone I have to perform for. And I just love that. I love that. That that's fantastic. So if you're a if you're a gourmet cook, you might want to burn the cookies. Absolutely. I actually, you know, I, I love to cook and I love to entertain and I work really hard to make sure that people never feel like the cooking part is a performance, but that I'm much more concerned about being with them and making them feel comfortable and that the food is always secondary to the sense of connection and conversation. Talk to me about social media and technology. I mean, I I feel like that is on the opposite side of this battle. Yeah. You know, personally, I, um, I find myself spending less and less time on social media. Um, and what I, one of the things I challenge myself to do is whenever I pick up my phone and my impulse is to scroll through Instagram or whatever, what I do instead is I challenge myself to either text a friend, like an actual human person that I have an actual human relationship with, or to click my Kindle app and read a book. Um, because a lot of times when I pick up my phone to use social media, what I'm looking for is connection, right? But it's pretty hard to connect really in those ways. And a lot of times it leaves us longing for connection more than it does meet that need. But a text is a real human person that you can talk with. And for me, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. And when I click on that Kindle app, a book, a story always heals me uh, in really good ways. So I don't think social media is inherently a bad thing, but I do find myself intentionally spending less and less time there. I have to say, I totally agree on texting, particularly with kids. I mean, my son is across the country in California. My daughter's in college. I text with them every day. I may not talk to them every day, but I text with them every day and I feel connected to them when we're texting. You know, I can sort of see when they're smiling in our conversation. Absolutely. I think it's a great way um, to stay connected, especially with people that live 
far away. I think you're right. It's a, it's a quick way to feel that sense of authentic connection. So talk to me a little bit about your daily practices. If we'd like to enter 2017 being a little more present in our daily lives, and I, I think that's a really good goal for me. I don't know that I would call it a resolution, but it's a good goal for me to just feel a little bit more in the moment. What are, besides finding a community, what else can we do on a day-to-day basis to help us get there? One of the things that I've um, incorporated into my life the last couple of years is the practice of silence. Um, you know, for some people, that's silence in prayer. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's purely just the practice of silence. But I tend to be someone who makes poor decisions when I'm running on the fly. Mm-hmm. And then I regret them. And then I feel resentful. And then I'm caught in this whole big loop of doing things I don't want to do for people I don't really care about. And everything gets screwed up. But when I start my day with even just 10 minutes of true silence, I'm reminded in that time, this is what I want. This is what I care about. This is what I value. These are the people that are important to me. It sort of lays a firm foundation from which to make the day's decisions. And then the other thing real practically is I try not to say yes to anything in the moment. I try to buy myself a little time to see if that's something that really fits with my values and my family and my schedule. Oh my gosh, um, my husband is so going to love you. I mean, we we have this conversation on, on an ongoing basis where he says, you don't have to say no, but don't say yes. And I'm, I mean, it was the reason I do this is because I've been doing, I've been saying yes immediately for years. It's totally my impulse. And it has gotten me in so much trouble. It has really, it's gotten me really far from the person and the parent and the partner that I've wanted to be. And so this is something I feel really strongly about. And then the last thing I would say connected to that is if you want to live more deeply connected to your own values, you're going to have to become comfortable with disappointing people. And I think especially for women, that's so difficult, but I try to picture concentric circles and at the center is uh, my husband, my boys, and I. Mm-hmm. And then just out from there, my parents, my brother, just out from there, my very best friends, just out from there, our church community. And then the, the, the circles go out and out and out and out. And whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Yep. And inherently, you will disappoint someone. Someone is going to be disappointed. And so I make it my goal to disappoint the center of the circle as rarely as possible. And then become increasingly comfortable at living in the disappointment of people on the further edges of that circle. And how long have you been doing this actively? How long does I, it take to I, what I really want to know, because I, I this is important, is how long does it take to get used to living with that disappointment or living in a place where you're comfortable with the disappointment of those people? You know, I would say it's taken me at least every part of three years. And I still have good days and bad days. I, um, there are, and there are certain personality types and certain kinds of conversations that are easier for me. And then some that send me right back to this people pleasing. Yes, yes, yes. Whatever you want way of living. So I would say it is a long road, but it's a very worthwhile skill. And it's helpful to keep in mind what the goal is. The goal is that you get to bring your best self to the people who matter most to you and to the work that you feel most passionate about instead of giving tiny little bits of yourself to everyone who's ever asked to anyone you ever ran into and then ending up giving the leftovers to the people that matter most to you and the work that you love most. 
So for me, it's really helpful to keep in mind the end goal. It's not that I will not give myself fully to things. It's that I'll give myself fully to the things that I decide are the most important to me. We are going to leave it there because I don't think there has been a, a more important message on this podcast maybe ever. Shauna Nyquist, thank you so much for this conversation and for sharing your time with us. The book is Present Over Perfect. Everybody should read it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. Thank you. You're amazing. And I need to do all of these things. <laughs> well, I'm still working on it all, too. But thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Sure. All right. Kelly has joined me in the studio. And let me just ask, have you finished your holiday shopping yet? Absolutely not. Are you a last minute person? I'm a last minute person. And I think it's indicative kind of of us being journalists, too. I do better down <laughs> when you're on the deadline yeah, on the deadline and like down to the wire. <laughs> like I really do. Hanukkah is very late this year as well. So I'm not done either. I'm mixed this year because I'm trying to transition my children into having one meaningful present rather than the you know, smaller yep. presence every night since they're not home for a lot mm -hmm. of the nights. So, you know, what's the, we always light the menorah, but what's the deal of opening something every night when you're not around every night to open it? And yet I still sort of, part of me wants to, as my mother did for me, buy them underwear for one night <laughs> and pajamas for another. Tradition. Yeah, there you go. Tradition. Okay, well, our first question this week is from Jean Campbell on Twitter. She asks, with interest rates so low, what's the best short-term investment for money I'm saving to purchase a home? So the key word is saving and to purchase a home. And unfortunately, she didn't tell us when she wanted mm. to purchase that home. But just the fact that she said short term indicates to me this is not money that you want to be investing. This is money that you want to be saving. You don't want to put it at risk. And as we've seen with what happened to bonds right after the election, even money in bonds is susceptible to losses. And so this kind of money... I'm sorry to say, because you're not going to get a huge return on it, really does belong in some sort of bank saving or money market account. Now, the one exception to that is depending on the size of the money that you're saving for the down payment, you may be able to really boost your return by a couple of percentage points by putting it into a high interest rate checking account. If you Google high interest rate checking accounts, you'll see there are checking accounts all across the country that will pay you a couple of percentage points in interest, but they don't, um, they don't have minimum balances. They have maximum balances because they don't want you to put in more than ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars because they don't want to pay those high rates of interest on those big balances. And they require you to jump through a couple of different hoops in order to qualify for that interest. Usually you have to direct deposit money into the account every single month and you have to use an ATM or a debit card about 10 times in order to keep the interest coming your way. But that might be some place to look. Our last question comes from Ku on Facebook. I'm a stay-at-home mom with two children under the age of three. Recently, I was approached about indexed life insurance. What are the pros and cons of buying indexed life insurance versus term life insurance? I'm 29 years old and my husband is 33. Also, I would like to put away some money towards their education in the long run. So what is the best option out there? The best option for most people is going to be term life insurance. And the reason for that is you've got very young kids. You've got a very long time horizon. Term life insurance 
insurance is, for most people, the only way to buy enough coverage to meet your needs because you need to cover a very long time horizon should something happen to you and your spouse today. You're going to want to take into account things like paying for college as well as maybe paying off the house. That builds into a very large sum of money. And all permanent life insurance products, of which there are a big number with a lot of different permutations, are going to be significantly more expensive than term. So I wouldn't look any further. Great. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. On this week's Thrive, the cost of a break. If you're planning on taking a career break anytime in the near future, it could cost you, wait for it, up to $1.3 million, according to research from Financial Finesse. About 40% of women and 10% of men now take extended time off to care for kids or aging parents, to pursue a passion or to find a new direction for their career. The earlier the break in the career comes, the more you'll have to save for retirement to make up for it. That's because money saved sooner has more time to grow, according to Liz Davidson, who recently appeared on the podcast. Check out her episode and the Wall Street Journal. Here's an example. A woman who takes 10 years off early in her career must save 25% of her annual pay over the remaining 30 years of her career to reach recommended retirement savings. This is something to keep in mind when you're considering a career break and just another reason to save as much as you can right now. Thanks, everyone, for spending a little bit of time with me today on Her Money. I hope you learned something that's helpful to you in your life right now. I hope you learned something else that you can pass along and share with a friend. And when you do that, just give that friend a little nudge to download Her Money, maybe even subscribe to Her Money so that she'll get it every week just like you do. I want to thank Liz Weston for joining me today. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our show comes to you from PRX. Our music comes to you from Track Tribe. And join us next week when we'll be talking with behavioral finance expert Dr. Daniel Crosby. If you've ever wondered why you made a decision about money that didn't even quite make sense to you, well, he's the guy who's going to break it all down. We'll talk soon.